we are continuing our series of in James. Um, and before we start, I just want to wish everyone a happy new year, happy 2022. I think I've, yeah, everyone in, this con in the sanctuary, I sent a text yesterday wishing you a happy new year, right? Did you know in Chinese, I'm not Chinese, but I think standard greeting for people in China is that I think they, in Korean, right? In the Korean people, Happy New Year, like you say, which means we hope that you have a blessed New Year, right? Which is good. But I think the way Chinese people say it is they wish each other wealth in the New Year. Rather than saying, have a blessed New Year, they say, I hope you have more wealth in the New Year. And I think that's very appropriate because today we're going to talk about wealth. Today we're going to talk about money. Okay, and James, how harsh James really is against people who are wealthy in his day. But before we talk about wealth, I need to, before we dig into our main topic today, I need to give you like a basis of what, I need to give you, give you context of a couple of things before we get into today's scripture. Because talking about money has to be within the context of, of, of God, right? So we just can't talk about money for the sake of talking about money because we have to talk about money within the context of who God is. So before we talk about money, let me remind you of a couple of main themes in, uh, in the book of James. Because we haven't done James in a, in a month, let me give you a couple of main themes in the book of James that will help us understand what true wealth is in today's scripture. The first, one of the first main points of James is mindfulness. It's about mindfulness of God. James is a very practical book. It deals with everyday realities. It deals with everyday trials. It deals with everyday words. It deals with everyday human interaction. And one of the first main points of James is in your daily life, you need to be mindful of, number one, who God is. You need to fear the Lord in your daily life. Once again, fearing the Lord is having this great reverence and recognition of who God is. And you are called to live your daily life in the understanding of 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 the reality of God and, how, and the reality of the sovereignty of God. Um, this week, right? Uh, well, I, I was on vacation this week, and I, I get to spend a lot of time with my wife, right? And we went on a date, and we are, and like the Lord is working in my wife, and the Lord said, and my wife told me, I think the Lord is telling me. He wants me to pray about everything in my life. No matter how small, no matter how big, he wants me to pray. And that really convicted me. So I started to pray about every little thing in my life. And there's one thing that I went through this week. Like, I visited a glasses store, and there was this glasses that I really wanted. But it was super expensive because it was handmade in Denmark, right? It was super expensive. I called my insurance company, like eye insurance company, and said, I want these glasses. She says, how much does it cost? And I told her how much it cost. The lady laughed at me for how ridiculously expensive these glasses were. But I wanted it. I really wanted it. I was kind of justifying how to get it. But I remember the conversation I had with my wife. And I prayed about this. I was walking, and I was praying about this. I said, Lord, if it's not your will, Show me, give it to me, or, or, or get rid of it. I don't know, I want it, but if, you're, if it's your will, like somehow help me resolve this passion. I actually went back to the glasses store, and I tried the glasses on. And, got, and, the, and the lady who helped me in the store said, those glasses don't look good on you. The glasses you have right now are better. Don't get it. She says, don't get it. Which glasses, which, which, which clerk in a retail store tells a customer, not 
get expensive glasses at the last day of the year. I was shocked. And I said, that's clearly God. I prayed. I thought, you know, when I was praying, would God help me with this? I actually went to the store and God helped me with it. After she said, don't get it, that desire for those glasses, gone. God saved, helped me save me a lot of money. Everyday mindfulness of the reality of God. That's how James is telling you to live. Whether it's trials, whether it is human relationships, whether it is your need, whatever it is, pray, but, but pray with the awareness that the Lord is real and the Lord will guide your life. Be mindful of God. That's one of the main themes of James. Not only be mindful of God, be mindful of your short time in this world. Remember James chapter 3? Was it chapter 4? He says, do not, do not assume that you're going to go there to go, go, go to a certain place tomorrow and do a certain thing. Do not assume things about time. Because James is clearly saying your time in this world is very, very short. And you need to understand that. You need to understand that your time in this world is very, be mindful of the shortness of your life here. And be mindful that the purpose of your life is not to do whatever you want, but is to do the purposes of God. That's James's main point. Be mindful of God. Be mindful of the shortness of your life. Be mindful of the purpose of your existence in this world. James is saying, that is how you are supposed to live your everyday life. You understand? If you're not mindful of this, the darkness of your heart will, over, will, will run you over. Example of this is, so vacation, once again, talking about vacation. I watched movies that I really wanted to watch because I don't, I don't have really time during non-vacation days. There's a couple of movies that I really wanted to watch. And one of the movies I wanted to watch, and I watched, was this movie called Roadrunner. And Roadrunner is about a documentary about the life of Anthony Bourdain. Do you know Anthony Bourdain? Do you know Anthony Bourdain? The real famous world traveler and chef who committed suicide in 2018. For the longest time, I never understood why a guy like that would kill himself. He seemed to have everything. He seems to have fame, clearly money, and he's truly living an interesting life, going to all the remote places in the world, talking to people, right, learning about their culture, eating their food. That was his life. And I said, why would a man with all that going on, he was the envy of everyone. Why would such a man end this life like this? And that documentary suggests there's a reason. In that documentary, it talks about the darkness of Anthony Bourdain. They don't tell you exactly what the darkness is, but there is this deep pain that he had ever since he was a kid. That's why when he was young, in his younger days, he tries to cure the darkness in his heart through alcohol and drugs. He was addicted to alcohol and heroin. He kicked the habit, but then he went all in on his job as a chef. He replaced the hunger for alcohol and drugs which he needed to soothe his pain. And he focused that on, on, on his position as a chef. When his book took off, he focused, his, he focused all his addictive nature on his career in terms of writing and television. But after fears of doing television and writing books, you could see the darkness in him, the pain in him catching up to him. And he needed something else besides the TV and the writing to soothe his pain, to soothe his darkness. And this documentary is saying he found a new target to soothe his pain, which was a woman. The same intensity that he took to his job, to drugs, he poured it on her because he needed her to soothe his darkness and pain. But that woman ended up cheating on him. And the documentary is suggesting that broke him because his darkness eventually caught up with him. 
Anthony Bourdain did not know God. He solely defined his life based upon his inner hunger, inner need, without being mindful of God, his place in the world, and the purpose of his life. Because he was totally blind to the ultimate reality of God, he only had his desires and darkness, and eventually nothing in the world could fill that darkness. What James is saying is not just a nice Sunday school lesson. It's about life and death. To be mindful of God in your everyday reality, to be mindful of your short time in this world, to be mindful of your purpose in this world, that will save your life. But if you're blind to all these things, then nothing can cure you of the darkness. You understand? That's the one point that you need to have in mind before we talk about wealth. Making good time. The second thing that we need to be mindful of that James is saying is James is saying you need to be mindful that the way you live your life now has consequences in eternity. There is a direct relationship between how you live right now and what you will reap in eternity. For example, James is saying, your tongue can lead you to destruction. Not only the destruction of your life here, but eternity. James is saying, the way you use your words right now will affect your eternal destiny. The words that we carelessly throw out as a direct link to the future that you will reap. That's what James is saying. James is also saying you will be judged in terms of how merciful and generous you were with another person. He says faith without works is dead. He says if you, if you just say that you have faith, but if it's not accompanied by the works of love, then your faith is not real and that you're not really saved. James is saying, your true faith which leads to good works in this life, that's the evidence that you'll be saved in the future. Once again, a direct connection between what you do here and the future, what you will reap in the future. Most people think what they do here, how they live here, will have no bearing on the afterlife. In fact, most people in this world do not think that there, are, that, that there are any, they don't think there are any consequences to how they live this world. They think they don't know what's going to happen to them in the afterlife. Therefore, and it, because they don't know what's going to happen to them after they die, they don't think there's any consequences to how they live here. They think there's no one watching, there's no one who's keeping records. How you live here, no one's going to remember how you lived here. They don't think there's any consequences. The people are free to do whatever they want, and they live like animals. Recently, I've heard of the person, of, there's a person that I know. One day, the wife told the husband, I don't want to be married anymore. And she fought for a divorce. They have a kid. They've been married for like 20 years, I think. And one morning she says, I don't want to be married, to, married, married anymore. I don't want to be married anymore. I want to be free. Fought for divorce. That destroyed her husband. That wreaks havoc on their children. But she doesn't care. Because all she wants is to be free. If you talk to her, I, would, I could talk to her, and she'd give me all the reasons of why she wants to leave marriage. And those, and, and yeah, you can, you can have those reasons, but ultimately she left because she thinks that the destruction that she causes to her husband and her, and her children, there isn't, she's believed there isn't, any, there, there isn't going to be consequences. There are consequences. It, Jesus is very clear. 
how you live in this world right now will affect your eternal destiny. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures of earth, but, but rather store yourself treasures in heaven. He, what he means is this. He says, there is a way that you live here that you can store up treasures in heaven. There are things you can do here right now that you will reap the treasures after you die. Jesus also says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Jesus says it is better to be lamed, to be maimed, than to be than to go to hell in destruction. What he means is this: there's a way that you live in this world that could send you to hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Most people think, once again, that how they live here will not affect their eternal destiny. Christians believe that eternity, the eternity, right, is a, it's a more fuller realization of how we live right now. Heaven is not a completely different place than we're living right now. No, heaven is a fuller reality of, of, of our life here. And in the eternity of God, everything that we have lived for will become fully seen. How you live right now, the motives of your heart will be fully seen in the afterlife, in the, in the new kingdom and the new earth. Jesus says, how you live right now, therefore, will affect your eternal destiny. Be very careful in how you live. These are the two things that you need to be mindful of. Be mindful of God in your everyday life. Be mindful of your short time here. Be mindful of your purposes here. And also be mindful that how you live in this world will affect your eternal destiny. It's within this context that James talks about money. Verse 1, James is very harsh on the rich. He says, come now, you're rich. Rich, weep and howl the misery that is coming upon you. My favorite pastor, Andy Davis, is saying, Andy Davis says, this six verses of James is the harshest verses in the Bible. Because if you look, read these verses, James is not calling the rich to repent. He's not calling them to repent. He is describing the eternal damnation and judgment that's going to befall on the rich. He's, oh, look at these verses. He's offering no hope or salvation to the rich people. He's saying, you will be condemned. Your riches will condemn you. Your treasures will eat your flesh in the day of judgment, he says. Very harsh. He says, weep and howl for the misery that is coming upon you. The word weep and howl is a, lar is a loud, mournful cry that you hear in funerals. Have you visited a funeral? Have you heard the wailing and the crying of family members who have lost their loved ones? James is saying, you rich people, it's a day of judgment. You're going to cry like that. You're going to cry like that because at the day of judgment, the motives of your heart will be clearly revealed. And when you see how you lived clearly, when the motives of your heart and what you did with your time and energy in this world, when it's fully revealed before you, when you see it like a movie, when you see it like a movie, when how you lived and, and all your intent is clearly visible in front of you, rich people, you will wail and weep and howl because you realize, rich people, that you lived unrighteously and you have wasted your life. Let's be clear here. Again, at the last day, at the judgment day of God, how we have lived 
what we have done, the intent of our hearts, will be made publicly visible to everyone, including ourselves. James is saying, on the day of judgment, you reach people. You will weep and howl. Question is, who are the rich that James is condemning? Biblically speaking, right? All of us are rich. All of us that I see before you, you too, you, you, you too. Yeah, everyone that I see before me right now, y'all are rich. Because the biblical definition of rich is someone who has more money then they're able to meet their needs. If you can meet your needs in this world, shelter, food, and if you have money left over, biblical definition, biblical, biblical, the Bible says you're rich. So everyone in this room is rich. So James, but so James in verse one are not, he's not condemning everyone who is rich. Clearly, that's not the case. Y'all are rich, but that doesn't mean James is condemning you. James is condemning a particular type of rich person. Biblically speaking, it's not a sin to be rich, despite you know, the woke Marxists out there who say all rich people are evil. It's not evil to be, it's not a sin to be rich, right? Some of you will say, Whew, right? I know, right? Look, there are major figures in the Bible who are rich. Abraham was really rich. Job was really rich. King David was really rich. They say King David, during his reign, had half the gold in the world as his possession. David had half the gold in the world as his possession. David was rich. But they're not all sinners, right? Clearly, the Bible is not saying if you're rich, you're a sinner, right? Because the Bible is clear. Wealth and the ability to produce wealth comes from the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's biblical. It is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It is God who gave me the ability to be a lawyer. I really do think that's true. I don't have that many skill sets. I really don't, right? I, there's only a handful of things. Then maybe three or four things that I can do. No, I think there's two things I can do well. Anything else, I don't know how to do. Someone asked me, can you open a champagne bottle? I didn't know how, I didn't know how to open it. I don't, I don't know, right? Um, my wife says, can you massage my back? I don't know how to massage your back. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to throw a football. I don't know how to throw a spiral. I don't know. There's only two things that I, knew that I do, can do kind of well. And fortunately, those two skill sets are really relevant to my career as a lawyer and my career as a pastor. To me, being able to do the work of a lawyer, it comes from God, and I know that's true. The fact that I have this job at a law firm, it's clearly God. Remember I told you this story? The way that I got this job was I applied for this job like six months before I had or like years before I had it. They saved my resume. Two years later, they called me. They, they scoured their resume database, and they, and they found my resume that I applied two years before, and they gave me the job right after. They picked up my resume, called me for an interview. I interviewed. The very next day, I got this job. I did not plan for this job. I did, not, I did not pray for this job. It was given to me. And the salary that is given to me through this job, which I can provide for my family, it comes from God. And so are, and your job and the jobs that you have is clearly from the Lord. Let's be real here. Remember when you apply for the job that you have? You were worried that you, whether, you're, whether you were going to get it or not. Remember that? You sent many resumes out in the stratosphere. No one responded, but this particular position responded to you, and you got it. It's clearly from the Lord. Right? 
If you have your own business, your patrons, God is sending you those patients and patrons to you. It's clearly from the Lord. And if you're becoming rich, wealthy, because of those jobs, it's because the Lord has given you that business. So therefore, side note, it's a sin to complain about your job. I think I'm serious. It's a sin complaining about your job. Look, my job is not easy, right? I had COVID and I had to work through when I had COVID, right? I was like shivering and like, like I was shivering and I was like, you know, I was in physical pain, but I had to get cases out. So I was like typing like this. And I know when I go back to my home today, I'm going to have a stack of paper like this because I was on vacation for a week. And I have 100 emails I got to answer because I was on vacation for a week. And I know what it means to be overwhelmed. But I also know that I, get, that I have the ability to do this job because the Lord gave it to me. Right? And, and the money that I get from this job is because it comes from the hand of the Lord. If you're wealthy, it's because of the Lord. But the problem with the rich people that James is condemning in these verses is that these people are not mindful that their wealth is from the Lord. Remember, once again, main point of James is be mindful of God in your everyday life. The rich people that James is condemning are not mindful of God in their wealth. Do you understand? They don't know God at all. They think they got this they're wealthy because they were lucky or they were smart or something. But clearly, there's no regard for God. And it's clear. Not only do they not regard God, they don't know they're living in the last days. That's what James is saying, right? Where's the last days? Verse 3. You have laid up treasures in the last days. So these people are not mindful of God. These people are not mindful that they're living in the last days. What does it mean to live in the last days, biblically speaking? When Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago, he had brought with him the kingdom of God. And then from the moment of his coming, this kingdom, the reality of this world is divided into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. The kingdom of God, after Jesus Christ came, is expanding, it's growing. And the kingdom of man is shrinking, it's going to disappear. You understand? Last days means right now we're living in the day where the kingdom of God is advancing and is going to head and is heading towards a certain direction. The kingdom of God is God is. God is progressing until to the day of judgment, right? Where everything will be revealed, where Christ will set everything straight again. You understand what last days means? Last days means right now the kingdom of God is growing and it's going to culminate in within the coming of Jesus Christ through which he's going to judge everything. He's going to set everything straight. So our lives right now, right here, is progressing towards the end point. It's 2022 right now. You know how, you know how fast 2021 like, like came, went by, right? That was 2022. And this year is going to pass by quickly again, right? And Lord willing, I'm going to say happy 2023. But clearly, there's time is progressing in a certain direction. Biblically speaking, time is progressing Towards the, towards the judgment day. That's what it means to be living in the last days. Our time right now is progressing unto the day where Jesus Christ will be revealed, where Jesus Christ will set everything, everything right, where he will judge everything. These rich people are not only not mindful of God, these people are not, are not aware that they're living in the last days, that their lives are heading to a particular direction. Guys, your life and mine, it's heading towards a specific direction, and the direction is judgment day. But the rich that James is condemning, they're not mindful of that. They're not mindful that God exists. They're not mindful that they will, they were, they're progressing towards judgment day. 
Therefore, they think this world is all they have. They don't have God. They don't know their life is progressing to a certain direction. This life is all they have. And therefore, in this life, if this is all they have, they're going to spend their life here accumulating as much wealth as possible. James is condemning the rich people because they're not mindful of God, because they don't know that a judgment day is coming, and because they're using their money only for selfish pleasure and self-indulgence. They think this life is all I have, therefore this life, I'm going to get as much money as I can, I'm going to get as much wealth that I can, I'm going to be as much happy as I can. Because that's what this life is for. What do you think this life is about, my young friend? A lot of Christians feel the same way as these young rich people do. They think this life is all they have, and this life, they think the purpose of this life is to get as much as you can. It's to get the nicest house you can, to get the nicest job that you can, to get the most successful kids that you can, to have the best retirement plan as you can. That mentality, it's the same mentality the rich people that James is condemning has in verse 1. Do you understand? Verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. So these people in James' day, because they don't know God and because they don't know there's a judgment day, they gather as much wealth as possible the wealth that they have, James is talking about here in verse 2 and verse 3, the wealth that they try to gather is two forms, two forms of wealth. Number one, garments, clothing. Number two, gold and silver. Let's talk about the garments that they're acquiring. During James's time, if you're rich, there's a certain status symbol clothing that you wear. The status symbol that people wear during James's time is if you're rich, you wear long robes, right? with gold embroiderment and beautifully decorated. The finest material with gold embroidering and design. If you wear that long robe in public, people will know that you're rich. And the rich people during that time are trying to accumulate as much that type of garment as possible because that's the symbol of wealth. Modern people also have status symbol clothing, right? You know that, right? Do you know? The status symbol clothing in the upper parts of New York, in the richest part of New York, is a Birkin bag. You know what a Birkin bag is? It's a bag made by Hermes, right? The cheapest Birkin bag, I think, goes for $20,000. The most expensive one costs for like $204,000. I saw one for research. I Googled Birkin bag. There's a used Birkin bag by Hermes, a used one that is selling for $204,000. A used Birkin bag that costs $204,000. Louis Vuitton, Chanel, they laugh at you. Birkin bag, that's the status of it. James saying these rich people accumulate as much many Birkin bag as possible. These rich people also accumulate as much gold and silver as possible. Gold and silver are metals that were used during that time to make money. It's a metal of currency. Gold and silver were the metal of currency. And when James says gold, gold and silver, he means money, currency. So these guys were working as hard as they can to, to accumulate as much garment as possible, to accumulate as much money as possible. Because, once again, they don't know God. They don't know that their, their lives are headed towards a particular direction. But James is saying, and he's really blunt about this, in verse 2, objectively speaking, the wealth that you have, the garments that you have, and the money that you have, if you look at an, from the objective point of view, verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten and, and your gold and silver are corroded. He means this. If you look at your wealth in terms of the objective reality of the kingdom of God, 
the garments that you have are moth-eaten rags, and the money that you have, have has really has no value. That's what James is saying. You guys might think that the garments that you have and the cash that you have in the bank is something special. But James is saying, in terms of the kingdom of God, if you look at etern- from the eternal perspective, from God's perspective, the garments that you have are moth-eaten, and the cash that you have has no value in it. These things that you live for, these things that you treasure, from the kingdom of God's perspective, they're nothing. These things that you devote your entire life for, they mean nothing. They're nothing, James is saying. I'm really into, sometimes when I go fall through the YouTube rabbit hole, I go to these million-dollar housing listings. $78 million where P. Diddy used to live. <gasps> $88 million. $100 million rent style. They're sick, right? These houses are sick, yo. Are kids still using the word sick, yo? They're like great houses. Bowling, bowling alleys, swimming pools, right? Everything. But James is saying, from this eternal perspective of God, these houses are just rotting buildings. Termite-infested, rotted buildings. It means nothing. Not only do they mean nothing, verse 3, they will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What he means is this. These treasures that you live for are, no, are not only, they mean nothing from the eternal perspective, but they will be used as evidence, as, as evidence during your judgment day. During it, the idea is during the judgment day before God, the prosecutor, the devil, will present evidence of how you lived, how unworthy you are, how unworthy I am. The devil will accuse you in front of God, that says, this person is not worthy to be saved. And the prime evidence, James says, that the devil is going to use to prove his point is the riches that these people have. The devil will say, look, look at the evidence of this person's life. This person's life is all about rotting clothes and worthless money. This person has lived this life only for these worthless things. They devoted their entire attention, they devoted their entire dreams in this world to get only these rotten things. Your honor, clearly this is evidence that this person lived a worthless life. The prosecutor will use your, use your riches, rich people, as evidence that you lived a worthless life. <gasps> Have you ever thought about that? If the richest person in the world live for something else other than God, then all their wealth will be evidence that they lived a worthless life. That's what James is saying. Not only that, these things that you have will eat your flesh, which means these things are not only evidence, but these things will condemn you. They will show how worthless life that we live. This is a somber point. Our possessions will tell us what we live for. Do you really want to live for the American dream? Because if the American dream is what you really live for, and if that's how you see your purpose of this life is, then that American dream will condemn you in the end. That's what James is saying. I'm not saying having a house is wrong. I have a house. It's fine. I'm not saying having a car is wrong. I have a, I have a Honda Accord, and that's fine. Right? Look, I went to Caleb's best friend's home like over the New Year's, and we talked about the Lord. With, like I loved his his best friend's parents, we talked about God. And after we talked about God, the guy showed me his Porsche, right? I got inside a Porsche, 911. First time ever getting in, got into a Porsche. It, I was, it was like this, like a spaceship. It was fine. 
But I know that Porsche will not condemn Caleb's friend's father. Because I know from talking to him, that Porsche is just a toy. It's nothing. It, doesn't, it, has, no, it has no spiritual value to that man. So having Porsches are fine. Having whatever, right? But if you think your life is primarily about accumulating wealth, then this wealth will condemn you. That's what James is saying. Not only that, so these rich people are wasting their lives accumulating these wealth because they don't have anything else. And not only that, what they're doing, verse 4, they're mistreating the workers. Behold, the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying crying aloud against you. What these rich people were doing, what these rich landowners were doing, they, they hired people to work in their fields, and they generated profit off these people's labor, right? But rather than paying these people labor, the, the, the fair wages, they take the wages they should have paid, and they take it for themselves. So they're not paying the people that, should be, that they should be paying, because they want to keep the money for themselves. That is injustice. That is injustice. Why do they live like that? Why do, they, why do they feel that they can live like that? This example is, it, it comes, can be seen in American history. Another thing from Andy Davis. This, he says, in, North, in this Carolinas, between 1720 and 1860, the Carolinas were filthy rich. North Carolina, South Carolina, they were really rich. And they were really rich because of rice plantation. Rice made the Carolinas rich, right? But who was responsible for generating rice fields? Slaves. The slaves will go, and they will chop down the trees. You know, if you go to the Carolinas, there are a lot of trees, right? They go to the forest, and they... They, they cut down trees, and they didn't have, like, electric saws, right? They do it by hand. They clear out the trees, and then, then they had to make dams and irrigation systems with their bare hands. Not only did they cut down the trees, they had to make dams, build major dams with their hands. After making major dams with their hands, they have to plant the rice I don't know what, what it is, but evidently, me watching Korean movies know you plant rice by, in, by, by a pool of water. You have to plant the rice physically like this. The slaves broke their backs, clearing out the forest, making dams, planting rice fields. The Carolinas were a swampy land. The malaria and yellow fever was very common. The slaves who cleared out the forest, made the dams, planted rice fields, they got yellow fever and malaria and thousands of them. These slaves. What did their white masters do? They say the white masters, the guys, gambled, right? Had jellybin clubs. The women gossiped. Play the piano, talked about classical music. While the slaves were dying in the fields, while the white masters were enjoying life. That has happened in the Carolinas, that is happening during James's time, that is happening throughout the history of mankind. The rich abusing the poor get wealth. It is such evil. Not only that, verse 6, James is saying, these guys, the laborers, because they're not getting paid, they take their case to the judge, the pagan judge. But the rich landowners bribe the judges so that the laborers will not get their fair day in court. So the rich people bribe the judges so that the laborers can get their wages, even in court. They're living evil lives. 
Why? Because they don't know that they're going to be judged for their action. They have no idea that the judgment day is coming. They don't know that they're going to reap the consequences of their lives in the judgment day. They have no idea that while they live right now will reap the benefits in the future, will condemn them in the future. Because they have no idea and because this life is all they have, they will do everything they can, including injustice, including lies and bribery, so that they can maintain their wealth. James is saying, that is why you're going to be judged, rich oppressor. Clearly, you guys aren't rich oppressors. I hope you're not. I hope Dr. J is not oppressing his nurses. Right? I hope I'm not oppressing my paralegals. Right? I hope Chung's not oppressing his fellow computer scientists. I don't think we are. So praise the Lord for that. The principle that James is talking about in these verses still rings true to us. How do you view, you have to view your money within the context of God and the fact that your life is heading towards a judgment day. If you think this life is all you have and your purpose of this life is to enjoy as much life as possible, if your life is primarily about accumulating wealth, having a happy family, having successful kids, and retiring, retiring, if that's the narrative of your life, then James is saying, maybe you're no different from the rich oppressors. You may not oppress people, but the attitude towards money is the same. What are you really about? What is this life really about? The rich oppressor, it's all about accumulating wealth and being happy in this world. Whereas the Christian is all about doing the will of God in the short time in this earth. Ephesians chapter 2, I think, is it 1 or 2? You have, you have been created by God to do good works. God has created you. God has saved you to do good works. And the most obvious way that we can do good works in this world right now is through our money. Did you know that? The most obvious way that you can do good works in this world is through your money and through my money. If you can't give generous with your paycheck, with, with your money, then we're not really generous at all, isn't it? Your generosity, or my generosity, is reflected on how we spend our money. The purpose of your money is to provide for your needs. That's true. The Bible is clear. If you're, not, if you're not working to generate necessities for your family, then you're worse than a sinner. That's true. But after meeting your physical needs, if there's money left over, then you need to be wise with that money. You need to be prayerful about that money. you got to ask God, how do you want me to spend this money? You do need to ask God that question. Because he has not called you and me to be, have plenty. He has called you, you and me to use our money for the advancement of his kingdom. How do you look at your money? How do I look at, look at the money that I have? You need to ask God for wisdom so that you can do good works with your money because the money that you use right now can reap benefits in the, future, in, in, in the kingdom of God. What will the money say about you? Look, John Piper's most famous sermon. He compares two people. He compares one group of people, one couple who retired when they're 50, I think, and after they retire, they bought a yacht and for the remainder of their days, they went to beaches to beaches to collect seashells. 50, retire 50, boating, collecting seashells, that's their life. Well, another person in his church, she was a medical missionary, never married, died in the mission fields. She devoted her entire life for the kingdom of God. In eternity, which life is worth it? And which life is a waste? 
according to James, those seashells will condemn those couple. Whereas that medical missionary, even though she was not rich, she left it out all in the field. Is your dream the American dream? Be careful, James is saying. Because that American dream could condemn you. Be prayerful in how you spend your money. But the most important aspect of spending your money is you need a generous heart. Right? I can tell you, I can warn you about your money being used as judgment. I can tell you all that. But that's not going to make your heart generous. It's not. If you're a stingy person by, by in your heart, then nothing that I can say to you will melt your heart to be more generous. The only way that your heart will be generous is for you to understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. What has Jesus Christ done for you? He has lost everything on the cross. He's the guy, God with immense, immeasurable wealth who left it all to become a servant in this world and who died for you so that you can be adopted children of God so that God can give you everything. Parents, this will ring true. I know you guys work really hard so that you can give your children everything, and God bless you for it. You sacrifice your free time so that your children could have things. So your children don't have to have college tuition like debt, right? That's the same mentality. Jesus Christ gave up everything so that you can have everything. When you know that you have everything in God, when God truly fills you up, make you realize that you are rich in God, then your heart will be more generous. You need to ask God, really, what to do with your money. Most importantly, ask God to give, make your heart more generous, but make you understand the gospel. Your money can do great things. It can. It can change so many people's lives. It can be used to the spreading of the gospel. Your money and my money can do such great things. We need wisdom and a generous heart that God can give. Please do not live like the wealth rich oppressors. Please think of your life as more than the American dream. Okay? Let's pray.